Would you would you mind telling uh, uh, doing like a little a little brief introduction to the listeners of who you are what what is the finance and uh, we can maybe start from there. Sure, Vlad and Bill, thank you so much for uh, having me on your podcast and love the name financially independent because our our slogan is empower financial freedom. So I think goes very much in hand with what you guys are all yeah. about. So the missions that definitely intersect and match. You know, so. For sure, for sure. <laughs> So, um, and even our name, you know, we, we picked the finance because we wanted to be very bold about that and say, look, we, we want to kind of defy conventional finance, which most of it is based on debt, which really, mm -hmm. it doesn't make people independent, you know, it really ties them down. So, um, but anyway, we've been working on this for two years now, the finance, the idea was to solve a big financial services problem and student debt. And when we did our research really stood out, you know, I, I'm a bit older than you guys. So I've, known about student debt for many, many years, but it wasn't never like this. It wasn't this giant crisis, you know? So uh, that was a big shock for me, honestly, when I you know, did the research behind this in 2018. And then we were looking at, you know, more alternative ways to solve the problem. So we uh, came across this concept of an income share agreement, which was being used at the university level, like with Purdue and coding boot camps like Lambda School and others. But um, everybody was talking about the student debt crisis, but at least from my perspective, when you're using income share agreements or ISAs as they're called for students, you're not directly addressing the crisis. Yeah, maybe you're slowing it down a little bit, but you're not directly dealing with the problem that 45 million people have with over now almost $1.7 trillion of student debt. Um, so we decided to focus on that part of the, of the market is to refinance student loans. So let's get people out of debt, people that are already working, they're out of school and they're dealing with uh, student debt and all the issues that it's causing them. So we developed um, you know, our whole core financing business, our custom underwriting requirements of how we assess risk and algorithm to price and, and de-risk uh, income share agreements. We came up with the concept of launching a fund so we can get investor capital to create liquidity. Um, and then this year we focused on more building our online platform, some of our early technology. And then when COVID started, you know, one of the things that we wanted to work on later, but we just started working on it right away was this resources marketplace. Cause we said, look, if people are out of jobs or there's more of a threat of people being unemployed, we need to have resources to get people on their feet, you know? So career counselors, job boards, recruiters and all kinds of other resources. So we kind of got that going as well. So now we have these three components, the student loan refinancing, the investment fund, which we're actually launching next week at SOCAP, which is a major social capital or social impact conference and the resources marketplace. So I'll stop there. Oh, this is very interesting. So I didn't know about the third part. So, so from the perspective of the finance, I would say that there are, uh, well, I mean, you said there are three parts, but the two, the two main uh, kind of aspects are the one of the investor that comes in and puts their money in and one of the refinancier, which would usually be the student, right? That's um, correct. That's correct. That's, that's our core revenue model. Um, we do expect the resources marketplace to become 
uh, to monetize that in the future. But for right now, especially with COVID going on, we just want to make those make that available to anyone that, that wants to use it. I, I, got a, I got a question regarding the, the investor side of everything because it said, uh, so first of all, you only take accredited investors, so 5,000 plus and you have to, to verify yourself. And then my question is when, when you say, uh, so around seven or to 10% returns, which is a nice chunk, is that across the, the whole fund or can you pick the chunk you want to invest in? Could I basically pick, I want to invest in certain fields of expertise, what people are studying? Yeah, yeah, great question, uh, Bill. And really, I, I think the fund will evolve with time. But I think the first step is, is, is kind of just have investors risk diversified throughout the fund. Because again, we're starting it off now, we don't have the skill in it yet. So we want to be careful in the beginning and just make sure investor risk is spread across all in, all the ISAs that are coming in. Now, as we scale this thing, you know, as we have thousands and well, ISAs in the future, maybe two, three, four years down the road, then we can start to think about tranches of can we, you know, kind of segregate the fund into different categories? Can we kind of say, look, this is more higher risk areas. These are more lower risk areas. Do you want to, you know, you want to maybe get a bigger return on the investing in higher risk uh, income potential versus lower risk and so on. So we can kind of do those types of things as we scale this thing. But for right now, it's going to be for just diversified throughout the fund to answer your question. Mm, yeah, yeah. And, and you brought up the, the range of return that we, are, that we are expecting based on the modeling that we've done. So that's, that is also at this early stage based on you know, the overall cohort in the fund. Um, that may change over time as we, you know, as we learn and we, as we start doing more deals. Yeah. And uh, another question that, that I would derive from that, um, do you already, so do you strive in the long term probably for in me and my role as a data scientist in, in general, strive to have your own data, create your own database then and then measure it probably hopefully better than what uh, the general student loan agencies do if they're doing an evaluation at all or? Yeah, no, absolutely. I, th I think for us, our technology in, as we grow this thing is really going to be around data science. Um, you know, the AI and the machine learning and everything that's going to come out of the data that we're collecting because you, you can imagine, right? Like in financial services, one thing that everybody talks about is like having an anchor product, you know, having a product that you can tie your customer to for a long time. And that's why mortgages are so attractive to, you know, to so many, you know, financial services people because you know, people are tied to you for 30 years. 15 to 30 years. And I kind of look at this as the same thing, but I think it's even better because now we're actually capturing our customer kind of at the beginning of their, you know, their economic journey, right? Or their work history. And so we can really learn from that experience as how is that, how are they growing, right? How are their needs changing? How are they going from more people that maybe are younger, not married to, to you know, starting families and buying houses and, you know, kind of start walking in their journey of life. And we learn from that and we hopefully develop other solutions, other products and services to cater to our customers over time uh, for sure, right? So that's, um, and maybe I'm getting a little off tangent in terms of your, your, your question, but uh, from a data science perspective, the data that we're gonna be collecting is gonna help us you know, shape our pro product journey over time, uh, but also allow us to really, what I'm also very interested in, in is to sort of directly tie education to economic outcome, right? To be able to tell somebody that, look, yeah, you may get more prestige by going to a private university, but if you're, if you're studying certain majors, it may not make sense for you because the outcome is not that dissimilar from somebody who went to a public school with much less, lesser tuition, yeah. right? So 
we should be able to give that data to students so they can make better informed decisions and maybe not get into so much debt from the beginning. You know uh, I mean? Could I jump in and just uh, come in with a question? Does, um, you said you, you, you would like to be able to give that data to students. Is that the third perspective where you come in as a kind of consulting service when you can basically consult the new people coming in to your students? You, you can tell them, look, uh, from our data, what we learned about these students, we can see that these are the outcomes for people who studied in this area and these are the out outcomes for different people. Is that kind of the third um, consulting part of the finance? Yeah, I, I think, I, think I, I envision us publishing white papers and other thought leadership pieces around these types of information, perhaps building some other you know, sort of offshoots to the finance, other business lines we can get into. I also see us eventually you know, going back and financing students using our income share agreements, but with our own data. So we have a much better idea that of the type of professions and majors that we want to finance while even while they're in school. So we can take an earlier bet on people, you know, before they even get started with their work career, because we have the data to show us what happens afterwards, you know, in terms of how long does it take them to find a job? What types of income do they start off with? And so on and so forth, right? So, so I can see many interesting things that will come out of this thing, you know, down the road. So in, in, like, you know, I really think the next three to five years is just laying the foundation of, you know, very, very, very interesting business opportunities and, uh, you know, for, for what may come in the future. Yeah. You, you're uh, subtly a bit referring there to this uh, ROEP portal, right? I saw it on, on, the, on the webpage. That was actually a nice idea. Just, just to talk about my own student loan a little bit. They, the agency I use, they also had in Germany the same principle. They, they invite you to webinars uh, and it ranges from everything from what insurance should I pick? What insurance should I long-term pick? Is it, is it life insurance, invalidity insurance, um, budgeting uh, helpers, budgeting uh, uh, tips and financial literacy tips in general. I think that's, that's a really good approach to, to make that accessible to, to people who have applied. Do you also plan on, because right now I needed to log in and I have to be a user probably. Do you plan on you making this accessible to everybody as some sort of free service, like freemium service? And if you want more, so to say, is, is that a plan? Well, we do want you to log in. It doesn't cost anything. So you can still use it. For ah, I, I could have just created an account. Okay, yeah. sorry. And then, then I misinterpreted that. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, but we, we obviously, we, we want to learn a little bit about you so we can give you the right types of resources, right? Ah, Based okay. on your individual situation. So we're going to collect a little bit of information from you. Uh, you know, what, you know, what's your, what profession are you in? What career, you know, what stage of your career are you in? What, what are your financial goals in the future? So we can start customizing and catering. Like I see a lot of, you know, uh, like, like lenders are using, they're doing something to this, to uh, something like this to, to some degree. But I think we're going to go much deeper because we're actually banking on someone's earning potential. With an income share agreement, if they're not, if they lose their job or their income drops below 25,000, they're not making a payment to us. So we're not even obviously earning revenue at that point in time. So we want to make sure these people, our customers and our users are working and they're maximizing or optimizing their earning potential. So I believe like we have a lot of ideas in, in ROPE and ROPE is what it stands for in terms of what we're going to call it. Um, in terms of how we want to cater that and even the AI and insights and some of the widgets that we want to build to really connect people and really help them optimize their earning potential. So let me, let me just jump in and, and, and bring us back a little bit to the, uh, to the um, refinancing side and, and, and the student side, uh, side of, of the finance, right? So you mentioned um, that if, if the income drops uh, below 25,000, they don't have to pay anymore. I also know that if there is a, uh, there is a cap on the maximum income and then uh, if, you, if you go above certain cap, you don't have to 
pay uh, the same month the same amount as you had before in terms of percentage um, and all that stuff so could you maybe explain a little bit uh, the mechanics of this of, of how this works and does the finance basically repay the debt for the student and and kind of erase that credit and then um, go from there and, and so on yeah absolutely I mean from a process perspective mm -hmm. someone who's working uh, who's gainfully employed we have a minimum income threshold of 30,000. So as long as they're earning 30,000 or more, they can come and apply. And then we will evaluate how much debt do they have to refinance. We would evaluate, you know, um, we don't score anybody. Like we're not going to make a decision based on a credit score, but we do look at credit history to make sure there's not like late payments and other major issues going on in credit. But, but credit scoring is not fair for young people. It's just the way it's set up. It just doesn't, it's not a good indicator of someone's credit worthiness when you're young, especially. So, um, and then we also look at your profession, your current income, your income growth potential, et cetera. So let's say we approve you, then what happens is we actually do pay off your, your student loan, which means it comes off of your credit, right? It gets reported as paid off on your credit. So that definitely should help your credit score, right? Your credit score should go up, which would potentially help you obviously buy a house and you know, get other things from a credit perspective. And then um, as far as the features of the product, as I mentioned, on the downside, we protect you because payment is always tied to income. So it's a fixed percentage of your income, the pay, uh, your income share agreement. So mm -hmm. let's, let's, for example, just say 5%. And this, I'm just giving an example that doesn't mean everybody's, uh, our algorithm evaluates everybody individually. But let's say it's 5%. So 5% for five years. So for five years, you're sharing 5% of your income. Income goes down, payment goes down. Income goes below 25,000, no payment to make, and we help you find a job, et cetera. And then we're also helping you navigate your career so your income keeps going up because that's our reward. Yeah, you're still paying 5%, but we're making more money because your income is going up, right? But we're taking the downside risk to justify the reward on the upside. But at the same time, we also don't want, don't want to be in a situation where someone does extremely well, they become the CEO of their company and their income goes up by 20 times and now they're paying so much more money. So there's a payment cap, right? So that mm -hmm. when you hit a certain amount of payments, your, your contract ends, even if it's during the five years, anytime. And, and uh, sorry, sorry for jumping in. Do you, uh, does that number of payments depend on the person, uh, based on the person or, or the contract is, if the contract is five years, so if you hit five years, that's where it stops or how does that work? Yeah, so the contract is be, ha, always has a beginning and an end. So once that five year, or it's more like 60 payments, mm -hmm. monthly payments, 60 payments are made then the contract ends. It doesn't matter how much you've paid. So it's theoretically possible you may not pay what we initially funded you for. Mm -hmm. It's possible and it's not against the contract. It's part of the, the deal. Uh, but we do, we do expect to earn more, meaning we can more in payments from what we initially finance because we are investing in people and their earning potential. So if we're doing our job well, then people will pay us more money. But we also offer the full comprehensive protections that come with the income share agreement. And then we give, protect them on the upside with the payment cap. We have a prepayment option where they can make extra payments above and beyond their normal payment to reduce the income share agreement one month at a time. So they can do it that way as well. And then we also have this very interesting thing that we've, I think, done that, are, that really helps both the investor and our, our customer, which is um, the self-equity. So we require everybody to purchase 5% of the income share agreement back from the fund right away. So you, we do your deal, let's say it's an uh, average student debt of 30,000, right? Let's say mm -hmm. we do a 30,000 financing. So $1,500 is 5%. So you have to buy that back from us right away before the income share agreement begins. And that could be in one lump sum payment. It could be spread across three, four months, whatever it is. 
Once you do that, then when the income share agreement begins, 5% of your payment goes into your self equity account. And that money keeps adding up. So you're basically invested in yourself. So which means the better you do, the more money you're going to get back from us because everything in the self-equity accounts comes, comes back to you, which will reduce your net cost and acts like a savings, essentially. You get that money back at the end. And it protects the investor too because now you've put some skin in the game, right? You're actually in line. You know, your, your motivation is the same as the investor because you get money back the better you do. And, um, and essentially, every customer becomes the biggest investor in their own income share agreement. So investors, I think, will also feel good about that because their risk is diversified in all the income share agreements in the fund. But every customer is like the lead investor in their own, in their own income share agreement, essentially, too. Right, right, right. I believe that's a great idea. It kind of acts also as, as a, from the other side, like a deposit that, that accrues interest over time. And, and uh, I believe that's a great idea. Um, from the other side, I wanted to ask a question from the investor's perspective. What is, um, so if you're an investor, why should you invest it in your fund? Is the ISA fund or the IRA uh, fund? ISA uh, refinancing fund, yeah. So yes, uh, so why, why should you invest in that fund? What, what does, is, is it the, 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 the diversity of people who, who are included um, and financed from that fund and, their, and the diversity of their job portfolio and the quality of the job portfolio, what makes uh, the fund less risky or let's say um, recession prone? Or uh, so what? Yeah, in, in that, recession, those terms. Recession proof. Not uh, proof. Proof. Sorry, no, no, not wrong. <laughs> in these yeah. times, you never know. You know. <laughs> the COVID is, of course, very, very different from any other recession. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, great question. Let's talk about these these things, right? So, it, for any investor, right, one of the most important things is diversification, right? You should diversify your investments into different types of things. So, this is an essentially a new asset class, right? I, there, I, to my knowledge, there's no fund like this out there. So this is a new asset class. We basically, we've basically turned income on, or someone's earning potential into an asset class, right? So when, I, when you do that, what happens? Like if you study income uh, as um, compare that against the stock market and other investments, what you see is even like during the last financial crisis, income growth never stopped. It slowed down a little bit, but it never stopped, right? Even if you look at the last 20 years, income steadily grow over time. Now, with the, the stock market, for example, you know, you're constantly going up and down, up and down, right? So, so number one, you don't lose the value of your investment uh, with an ISA and incomes are stable, which means much less volatility and steady, st st stable growth over time. So we've designed this fund as a fixed income type of fund. People invest, uh, income share agreement, payments are coming in every month. They go back into the fund and then we do quarterly distributions back to investors or so they get passive income every quarter and they have redemption rights as well, um, limited redemption rights to, to be able to get out of the fund if they want. But as long as they own shares in the fund, they'll continue getting passive income and that could be perpetual as well. So that's one thing. Secondarily, risk mitigation. So we've worked at one diversification. The more ISAs we do, the risk has diversified through all the ISAs. Um, and that doesn't mean some people may not be unemployed, sure, but it'll, it'll offset by the others that are working. Even in recessionary times, like right now, I think unemployment is around 10%, but that still means 90% of people are working. And if you look at college graduates and professionals, that unemployment percentage, is, it's much less, right? So even during recessionary times, most, you know, predominantly people who are um, college graduates who are professionals are working. And that's our job from an underwriting perspective to isolate those people and, you know, uh, get them into, uh, into the fund. But also, I don't want to misrepresent and say we're only looking at high income earners. We're looking for stable growing income. A teacher is a great candidate. They may not have a high income, 
their debt is much less, but they have steady growing income. If they get tenured, they, you know, job protection is there as well, right? So those are great candidates too, as are the doctors and the lawyers and MBAs and all kinds of other folks. So these are um, risk mitigation from working with qualified um, underwriting uh, candidates. And then there's also the recession proof aspect because there's no correlation with the markets. So even in downtimes, we expect that the fund will still generate returns. And finally, there's tax deferral benefits because um, as opposed to investing in a loan, income, sh I mean, income share agreement payments are not amortized like loans with interest and principal. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So all the profit is in the back end once the money is recouped that you invest in the beginning. So there's a tax deferral feature as well. So for a few years, you don't have to pay, you can you defer your taxes too, which I think would be another positive thing for investors. That's great. Bill, do you have a question? I, I have a question regarding the, the, the percentage of, of income I have to then pay. To what extent do students have their say or have their lever to change this? Because for example, I could change between seven or 10%. Can, can I also uh, choose, uh, uh, I don't know, 15% just to aggressively pay off very quickly to really be nice and to 100% pay off in, in five years? Or are you all for the conservative approach there with, with your internal analysis? No, I mean, look, um, we have to do our analysis at that given time based on the amount of debt we're refinancing and the current income at that point in time. So mm -hmm. we have to, analyze. we can't, obviously we're gonna predict what may happen in the future, but there's no guarantee of that, right? Somebody could outpace our prediction, somebody could underperform, both things can happen. But to, to your point, the flexibility is there for the person, we're gonna give them an, ex, an amount above their normal payment. If they pay that amount, one month is reduced. So okay. they can do that very aggressively. They can pay multiple times that amount every month or every few months and knock off multiple months at a time, or they can do it slowly and just do it over time and knock off a few months uh, by the end. So yeah, the flexibility is there. If you're making more money and you're doing well, sure, use that money to make extra payments and, and, and end the contract early, which will save you obviously uh, later on in, in cost. Sounds good. But always the important thing that I think to customers is that, look, your downside is always protected. Where with a loan, that's what bothers me about a loan is that it doesn't matter what happens to your, in your life, you still have to make those payments. And if you don't make those payments, what's happening, right? Like interest is accumulating, your balance is growing. People, have, people are like, you know, take out a 10, 15 year student loan. I know many people, and you can see the horror stories on the internet, 20, 25 years later, they're still paying off student loans. Mm, yeah. yeah, and you, know? you cannot get rid of these loans uh, under any circumstance except yeah. death. So yeah, that, the student loans are a special thing. I was, yeah, reading, yeah. I was reading about in the Wall Street Journal about a dentist who had more than $1 million in loan. I think he was 40. And I was like, wow, this is getting really uh, out of control. Um, yeah, uh, and it, what surprised me about like, dentists are worse than doctors. Like yeah. what I've noticed from the lot of conversations I've had, Dentists end up uh, having much bigger loans than even doctors do, so it is a big problem for them. But one question, let's say, for uh, just to put you at the spot, would, would the dentist, for example, be a good uh, a good candidate? Because uh, I mean, whatever happens, you have to go to a dentist, or uh, even though they have large amounts of of, of student debt. Yeah, look, um, in the beginning, as we scale the fund, we have to really watch uh, the amount of debt we're refinancing because mm -hmm. we want to do more deals. The more deals we do, the more risk we can diversify, right? Mm -hmm. But as we scale the fund, as we get more capital coming into the fund, then yeah, we will target more uh, bigger debt amounts, but people that have that income potential too. So that ratio has to make sense, amount of debt you have and the income that you have, right? So if that makes sense, 
then it does, it does work for us. And we can do anywhere from a five year income share agreement up to 15 years. So people will have a choice. We'll give them multiple options. You know, the longer you spread it out, the lower your income share percentage, mm -hmm. the less payment you have to make. Um, so, you know, to, you know, like every case is individualized. So I can't tell you that. Okay. But the point, the point is that in the beginning, we have to be more careful, maybe focus more on the smaller debt amounts, but then as we scale the capital side of this, the supply mm -hmm. side, then we can do uh, more deals and, and we will, yeah, we will target uh, all kinds of other people. And then we have our resources marketplace. Like if someone is debt is that high, why can't we go back to those, those lenders and servicers and negotiate that down? Mm -hmm. Like if we can say, look, you have 600,000 in debt, but you know, but what it makes sense for us to finance uh, five, 400,000, mm -hmm. maybe you can go back to your servicer and say, what if I make a lump sum payment of 400 K? Yeah. Would you, get, would you, would you let me do that and get out of this loan? And I think in many cases we'll find that, you know, services, you know, will be very willing to do that. And I think it's great from the, at least from the student point that the, as I understand the student throughout this process have to, even if they don't have a job, they will have to be looking for a job, right? And you, you are there to help them look for a job, right? Which is usually a service, which many of many people pay, right? For, for, for those services. Um, so yeah, I believe that's great. Yeah, I mean, we, we, we will obviously require people to uh, seeking full-time employment, right? To mm -hmm. make a full effort to do that. And we have a resources marketplace that we can guide them to. And, and so we can actually monitor that as well. And that's important, right? Because obviously if they're not working, then the, the, the whole situation just doesn't, doesn't work. But of course, once the ISA is finished, then if you want to you know, go on a worldwide vacation, you can go for it. Take two right. years to <laughs> circle the world and enjoy. Absolutely. I, uh, I still get another question quickly. Sure. Um, do you also plan on making this this whole fund um, crowd funded base so that, that it's not that it's also open to not only accredited investors? Is that something for the future or is that too risky at the end of the day? Uh, no, I'm, I'm really glad you're asking that question. I was going to actually bring that up before I wrapped up. Um, look, like to me, one of the biggest reasons of working on this is like, I really feel like the middle class in, in this country, right, in our country is really getting squeezed. From, from all perspectives. And these problems that we're seeing in the financial services industry are mostly problems of the middle class. And this is, not, this is like, you know, right at the top of that list, because like, look, if you're coming into school and your family does, does not have a lot of income, you have Pell Grants, you have all types of need-based scholarships, right? So you can get a quality education at very minimal cost and you may end up in much better shape than somebody you know, whose, whose parents were earning 100K or whatever, it's not their fault, right? At the end of the day. So, um, so, so from that perspective, I want um, support from the crowd. So this is, a, this is a program for the crowd. So the first step we're taking in that direction is we have a crowdfunding campaign going on on the Net Capital platform. Uh, obviously, please go there, search for Definance. And when you see Definance there, uh, you'll be able to see what that's all about. So as a non-accredited investor, a bill to your point, they can support us right now through our crowdfunding campaign. Now on the fund side, um, we have to be accredited because the compliance and regulatory work required to make that available for non-accredited people, more involved there is gonna be more cost involved, it's gonna take more time. So we wanted to get it launched and get some traction going, but 100%, at least from my perspective, I wanna work on that and make this available because why can't this be another 401k option? Why can't you invest in something like this along with a mutual fund and, and other thing? Cause this is really a, to me, this is like a retirement income, passive income. You can defer the, like we'll even give an option to investors to not take the cash and reinvest in the fund with those earnings 
and take it as a future annuity, take the mm -hmm. cash out later on when, when they retire or whatever. So it's a really great option for everybody, whether you're accredited or non-accredited, and we do want to make it available for everyone over time. Sounds good. Sounds good. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And this is this is great. And probably currently, since it's such a new idea, right? It's, it's something new coming out. This is why the, the regulators are very, very uh, cautious, I guess, of who they get involved with, uh, with funds and stuff, so on, right? Um, yeah, but you know, if, if the crowd supports us, like in the crowdfunding, for example, we have a much bigger case to make to go back and say, look, we want, we need to figure out a way to do this for everybody, you know, and, mm -hmm. and we're going to work on that. And that's, that's something that I'm very motivated to do. Yeah, that's a great mission to have. I, I spend a lot of time once, once I realize that the amount of, of student debt there, there is in the United States in general, like I was, I was trying to figure out like what kind of a creative idea can there be to solve this problem? And, and I think you have one of the most creative ideas so far that I came, I came across and it's, it's really encouraging to see that people are coming up with uh, uh, brilliant new ideas to, to, to solve this issue, right? Because it's a big issue and there is a huge market for this. And uh, yeah. Well, no, absolutely. And, and I think what I love about, uh, you know, like um, the income share agreement approach is that the goal alignment, right? Mm -hmm. Like everybody's goal is the same. It's like when, when our customers are making money, we win, they win. When they're not making money, we're losing. So we got to figure out ways to help them <laughs> get, get yeah. back on track. So I love that part of it. And I also love the part like kind of having this fun too, because we're not reliant on any bank for liquidity. We're reliant on, you know, investors. So let's help each other. You know, I mean, why can't somebody, you know, why can't a dentist, for example, who maybe we cannot finance today, but let them become investors, put some money in the fund to help other people get out of debt and help us scale that fund so then we can come around and help them in the future, you know, refinance their debt. So there's many ways of working with us, right? And the rope marketplace also, anybody can use that, you know, it doesn't really matter even if you don't want the ISA. Right. And, and I have uh, two, I guess, final questions. Um, if, if, if a student is listening to this podcast currently, how should they, what should they do? How should they get signed up and start with the finance? Uh, how should they know if they are the correct candidate for this? Um, and the second question, I guess, following up after that is where they can, where can they find you and um, where they can provide the contact information and, and kind of look at the finance. Sure. So let's solve, let's answer both your questions with one answer. <laughs> uh, so you just go to the Definance website, the, mm -hmm. you know, D-E-F-Y-N-A-N-C-E.com. And you can find us on social media with the same name at the finance, mm -hmm. uh, go to our website and then you can go directly apply. There's an apply option and you can go, you know, um, create an account as Bill was talking about earlier. And then you can apply for the income share agreement right from inside there. Um, even if let's say you don't qualify, whatever the case may be, you can still use our resources marketplace to go back, to go and um, solve those issues. Maybe it's a credit issue. So we have credit people, credit uh, resources there to help you fix your credit problem. So you can come back and reapply so we can work with you in the future, right? If you have some, maybe you're not working or you're unemployed, well, we'll help you find a job through our marketplace and you can come apply for the ISA at that point in time. So anybody can really work with us. We're open to, to everybody. Um, and it's simply, just simply going to definance.com and going and creating an account on our online platform. By the way, we're calling it Definance User Hub or Duh, mm -hmm. you know, Duh. Uh, because right. it's, that, it's that easy, you know? <laughs> I don't know if you guys hear my joke. But anyway, we're kind of using that name as <laughs> Duh. Took me some <laughs> so yeah, just go to the Definance User Hub and create an account and you can, you can uh, see if you qualify or, or you know, work with our resources marketplace.
Well, Farouk, thank you very much. It was a pleasure to talk to you once again and, and go over this brilliant idea. I, I, I hope that all the, the people who are listening to the podcast found this interesting. And I hope there is somebody who will uh, uh, be interested in the finance and who help, can resolve some of their issues uh, with credit with the finance. And we can actually do some good with this podcast and help people achieve their financial freedom or independence, whatever the mission is, I guess, in this case. <laughs> well, thank you so much, guys, for, for having me on. I had a great time talking to you guys. And, and once again, we have an ask right now. Go to netcapital.com and find us, the finance, and uh, go support our campaign. Tell your friends and family to do the same thing. 